Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. 
Good evening, everybody. Welcome to God's Hour of Truth. I'm your host, Apostle Ed Eberle. I'd like to welcome everybody here in the United States and around the world to our program this evening. I had a few announcements, in fact, a couple of testimonies I wanted to give before we get into anything here tonight on my program. Uh, first of all, I just found out today that Reaching Out Radio International, which is our, our, our organization here, what these programs are on, has been heard in every state in the United States. It's touched every state, and we have three new countries. There was a lot of countries around the world we're reaching, and there's all the states we're broadcasting in. So I just wanted to tell you all that, and we just praise God for that, that his word is going through the world for reaching out Radio International to the glory of God. So I just wanted to praise the Lord about that and thank God for that. And also I wanted to give a little testimony here. Uh, Apostle uh, Roy Winman and myself do a program. I'm co-host with his program, uh, Going Deeper in Jesus, every other Friday. And uh, this past Friday, uh, we got a testimony from an apostle, and this apostle has a successful ministry. has been used mighty of God for many years. But he was listening to our broadcast, and what was spoken there, uh, the Spirit of God moved upon him and showed him what he, he didn't know and what he needed to do, and God set him free instantaneously, he told us. He said he was instantly set free. God uh, just opened him up. He said he's not the man that he used to be. He didn't really realize there was anything was with completely or anything wrong, but there was something there that he didn't see. Anyhow, God revealed it to him and set him free, and he's ready to start a whole new life, really. And not that he was doing bad or anything, but he had uh, needed, he didn't really recognize, but God set him free. The Bible says we shall know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Amen? And that's what these programs are all about, is people being saved, healed, delivered, and made free, and being on fire for Jesus, bringing people into the kingdom. That's what it is all about. That's why I'm on all the programs I do with uh, with uh, Reaching Out Radio International as well as other uh, programs, because we're there to win souls and see people set free, and it's really happening, folks. We're seeing many wonderful things answered. God's answering prayers in a mighty way. He's doing mighty things. So... Uh, now, as we get started, let's ask God's blessing upon this program tonight that God will touch many people through it. Okay? Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you. We just want to thank you and give you all the praise and glory, Father, because we know it's not by power or might, but we know it's by your Spirit, as you tell us in your word, Father. And, Father, tonight I would just ask by your Spirit that you would give me the words to say, direct everything I say and do. Let it all be to your glory. Let it be your words and not mine. And, Father, whatever the need might be tonight, speak to the hearts of each and every person, Father, and what they are looking for, what they are seeking for in you. Show yourself mighty to them, Father, by your power and by your love, Father, because we know you desire to show yourself to people more than people would even desire to, to be filled and be full of you, Father, full of your Holy Spirit. We know that you want to do this more because of your great love. So, Father, right now, by faith, I just release your anointing into this audience, and I bind and I cast out any evil force, all forces of Satan, any interruption, any negativity, all darkness must go from every individual in their homes, in themselves, their families. Right now, I just speak your word for those that are hearing 
and by the authority you've given to me by your word in Luke 10, 19, and 20, that we have authority over the spirits, every one of us, Father. I use that authority now, and I command all forces of darkness out right now, out of this household, out of all households, out of all of us, in the name of Jesus, and fill us with your Holy Spirit now. Open our hearts, open our minds, and Speak to each and every one of us, Father, for what you want us to hear, what you want us to do, everything you want about us, Father. And I believe that you're meeting a need tonight. Heal sick bodies, above all, saving souls, filling people with your spirit, giving understanding, giving vision, giving direction, Father. Now, Father, we just want to thank you and praise you for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And they all said, amen, amen, and amen. Okay, tonight, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Leviticus chapter 16. And what I'm going to be reading here is a foreshadow of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he died for us. This is a foreshadow of it. And the message is called tonight, Seven Actions of Jesus That Makes Us Free Now. You're going to find out in this uh, teaching tonight, that the seven actions that Jesus took are the seven actions that enable us to be what I'm going to read to you after I'm done reading these verses. Because I'm going to read something to you. It really is the whole thing in a nutshell, what we're going to be talking about tonight. It's all in this right here. Everything is in what I'm going to be teaching tonight. It's all a part of that, you see. It's not that you're going to hear everything that there is. It's showing you where it all derives from. And then you can go deeper into it and you get revelations upon it and enablement and everything else because this is what makes it all possible we preach and teach about. Okay, Leviticus uh, chapter 16, verse 14 through 19, starting with verse 14. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins, so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have come an atonement for himself, had made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out into the altar before the Lord, and make an atonement for it, and shall take the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Now, as we read those uh, verses there, what it's really talking about is the seven times that uh, they sacrificed in the Old Testament there for, for to be cleansed, to be made whole. That was God's way of uh, really doing things back then. But Jesus came with a greater covenant and a greater thing. And what happened uh, when he came, 
it was really bringing to life what this was a shadow telling us. You see, this is the shadow. Most of your Old Testament things that happened there were a shadow of the things to come. And this was a shadow of Jesus Christ uh, shedding his blood seven times, which we're going to learn about tonight. Now, the blood covenant that brought our salvation, which is the wholeness in every area of our life, everything was under the curse of the law. But uh, Jesus redeemed us from the curse in Galatians 3.13. That means he took the penalty of sin away from us, that we don't have to pay the price, because he paid the price, you see. That took it away from us. That curse that came upon mankind was upon mankind was there until Jesus redeemed us from that curse. And these seven times that Jesus shed his blood, we're going to see individually what each one signified. Now, I want you to think of something right now. Just uh, keep this in your mind. Uh, these seven times that Jesus shed his blood is the enablement of what I'm going to read now. It's just a couple verses right here. It's not scriptural verses, but it pertains to salvation. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Salvation begins at the rebirth or being born again. It is the beginning of our journey of being who called us to be and having what he has given us and doing what he's called us to do in the kingdom of, of God given to us through Jesus Christ. So it's the beginning of our journey, okay, which is uh, he's called us, right? And we are to have what he's given to us and do what he told us to do, you see. And, and doing that, as we have those things, uh, being what we're to have, doing what we're to do, and, and living the way he calls to live, that's what he did through Jesus. But we're going to learn tonight how did he really do it through Jesus. We know he went to the cross. He died for us, the blood that he shed on the cross. But we're going to break it down according to what the Word of God teaches us, you see. And this is exactly what it was. And, and the one's very familiar part, very important, but the first time that Jesus shed his blood was at Gethsemane. And the scripture in Luke 22:44 is here. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was yet where great drops of blood fall into the ground. Okay, Jesus prayed in anger, agony so greatly that he literally burst his blood vessels. He was in just such a, a tremendous prayer, uh, it was just beyond anything that you and I have ever experienced. And that's where the blood came from, because it literally burst his blood vessels in his head, and that blood came running down his head, you see. That came running down his forehead. And that blood uh, it came running down his forehead give us what he gave us at Gethsemane. And what he gave us at Gethsemane was our will, our free will. Now, Jesus, remember he said, Father, if it be possible, uh, take this cup from me. If it be possible, take it from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that enabled you and me that no matter what we face and what we want to do in our flesh and how we resist doing what God wants us to do, we can say no to our flesh. We can say no to, to anything that comes against us and tries to get us to not do what God told us and actually do it. It would give us that power. You see, that blood enabled us because you and I cannot, in our own strength, do anything. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Jesus said that to you and I. He's one of us. Now, because he shed blood at Gethsemane that come down his forehead, and he overcame what he didn't want to do, because who in the world would have wanted to go to the cross and suffer as he did? Nobody would want to. But the thing about it was, 
That did not stop him. He said, Lord, I don't really want this to bring in our understanding and our vernacular. Lord, I don't really want to do this, but Lord, nevertheless, Father, I want to do what you want me to do, not what I want. It's your will done, not mine. Now, you and I can say that very same thing, and we can actually walk in it because of what he did at Gethsemane. Gethsemane's shedding of the blood enabled you and I to have control of our wills. Now, 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Those who are striving for the mastery must have temperance or self-control in all things if we're striving for the mastery. And temperance is a fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5.22 and 23. Now, self-control or temperance is simply controlling our will, what our flesh would dictate us to do. And we say, no flesh, you're not going to do what you want. You're going to do what God wants, you see. I'm going to say yes to my spirit man flesh. I'm not saying yes to my physical man, my mind, my intellect, my physical body. I'm saying yes to what's inside me, my spirit man. It enables us to do that. So we cannot say that, hey, pressure was so great, I just I just gave up. I just gave in to what my flesh wanted to do. And we have said that before. Every one of us have given in. And many times you've heard people say, well, I couldn't help myself. I just did it. Well, that was our shortcomings right there because we have the ability. We had the ability, but we just didn't use it. We didn't walk in it. You see what I mean? In other words, it's not that we can't do it. It's like Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. But the devil can't make you do it because you have authority over your will because of the blood of Jesus shed at Gethsemane, part one, first time, first place he shed his blood. So you have to have control of your will because, like I said here, if you're striving for the mastery, you have to have self-control. If you wanted to be a professional in a sport, sportsman, you would have to do the things a professional sportsman does to get to the top of the heap, wouldn't you? You'd have to practice. You'd have to work out. There's certain things you have to do, and they don't agree with your physical body because many times your physical body just wants to sit down on the couch, watch TV, eat ice cream, and just lay around, do what it wants to do. It doesn't want to have to labor and labor into things and and deny yourself and and hard work. Your flesh doesn't want that type of a thing. But that's why we must have self-control. And, you know, that's an area, if you and I don't have that mastered, if we don't aren't over our self-control, if we don't have it in our lives, we can't have God control because God would tell us to do something like he told the Father God told Jesus, and we would say, Father, I would rather not do this. And then we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't say, not my will, but your will be done, because we'd say, hey, I just don't feel like doing this. I don't want it. I'm just not going to do it. We wouldn't say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So we have that enablement. And most people don't like to hear, hear that word uh, self-control or being temperate they say, and things. They don't want to hear that because they don't want to say no to their flesh. But you can never achieve the mastery in anything in life if you don't have control of yourself because you're going to do the wrong thing if things are going to take you away from that goal, you see. You're going to have to do things that are connected with that goal if you want to be a master at what you do. Otherwise, you'll never master anything. You'll just lollygag and just uh, go over the waves up and down, up and down. You'll never amount to anything because it takes an effort in our part. Most uh, things in the Bible that we hear about tells us you do this, like let the peace of God rule your hearts. You do that, you see. You give yourself to me. You, you, you resist the devil and he'll flee from me. You do this. You do that. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible where it always is pointing a stick 
or the finger, whatever it might be to you and I, is pointed to us. In other words, we are sitting on the uh, desk, right there, like the buck stops at our desk, and he says, you do it. But many times we want to shift it over and say, well, the Lord will do it. He'll take care of it. No, he won't. He'll take care of it all right, but he'll take care of it through you because he's enabled you. That's how he took care of it. He'd give you the ability to do it, and you do it, you see. That's how God takes care of it. He takes care of it through you. He doesn't just all the time just do things sovereignly. We like to think of it that way. It kind of eliminates you and I from doing certain things and, and getting in the heat and getting in the fire. But, hey, God has enabled us. He's empowered us. He's called us. He's anointed us to go forth and destroy the works of the devil just like his son Jesus did. Like it says in John fourteen twelve, the things that I do, so shall you do even greater things, you see. He wants us to be like Jesus. For me to live is Christ, to die is to gain. You and I are to exemplify Jesus Christ in this world today. And I'll tell you, it's getting very serious, folks. I'm seeing it more serious every day of us walking and living a holy life, walking in the power of God, needing that empowerment more and more and more, and yielding ourselves more and more. We're being drawn closer and closer to God, folks. And we must be obedient to this here because this is the only way that you and I are going to be living a victorious and a fruitful life for Jesus. Okay, the second thing. Stripes on Jesus' back for our healing or our health. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chest had more peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Okay, that was before Jesus went to the cross, the Old Testament, right? So he said, you're healed by Jesus' stripes because it's saw in the future. Hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross and, and bore those stripes and shed his blood, he said, you are healed by his stripes, you see. That was looking ahead to the uh, crucifixion. Now, First Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes you were healed. That's looking back on the, re- on the death, burial, and resurrection, the shed blood. He looked back and he said, you were healed 2,000 years ago when Jesus died upon the cross. He shed that blood and he was resurrected. And when he did that, that was uh, the stripes that he bore and everything is what healed us. You see, we received it then. He paid the price. That was belonged to us, lock, stock, and barrel at that time, whenever he paid that price, you see. So we were healed. We're not going to be healed. We were. And if you really look at healing in the right context, we're not the sick trying to get well. God made us and calls us well because Jesus paid by his blood, by his stripes, that we're healthy. And therefore, being that we're healthy, uh, when something comes against us, sickness, disease, we're not trying to get healed. We're just uh, not receiving or believing and saying, hey, sickness, disease, you have no part in me. In other words, devil, you're not going to make me sick. I'm the well that you're trying to make sick. I'm not the sick that I'm trying to get well. You're trying to make me sick, and I don't receive that. You have no place in my body. My body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. You have to look at it that way. I have light in me. I have light, the light of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. The greater one dwells in me. So, therefore, there's no room for you, devil. Light and darkness can't remain in the same place. So I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. You can't remain in there. You can't remain because Jesus paid the price, and the Holy Ghost dwells there, and the Holy Ghost doesn't dwell with sickness or disease. We have to look at at health in that particular way right there in order to have the right perspective on it because too many people are, oh, woe is me. Oh, I feel bad. Pray for me. Oh. The deal is, and really, we have to see it that, hey, I'm the healthy one. I'm the healed one. I'm well. 
the devil is trying to make me sick and deal with it in that way. Look at it from the approach that you have the victory, not you are losing the victory and you are beat down and, oh, I'm getting this thing off you. Oh, I'm getting it off of me. No, it has no right in you, you see. First of all, it has no right in you in the first place, but if it does get in you and things attack us like that, hey, you have no right in there. We cast you out. You're, you're evading God's property. God's property is me. You have no place in there. So you go out in the name of Jesus. I'm evicting you in the name of Jesus. We have to have that perspective in our mind, that attitude, you see. It's a matter of attitude, our faith. You know that? Seeing it for what it really is, seeing who is really the elephant and who's the mouse. You're the elephant and the devil's the mouse. But many people, according to them, you are the mouse and the devil is the elephant, you see. No, that's not so. Well, you have to know who you are in Jesus. Okay, that's the second time that Jesus shed his blood when he was beaten with a cat of nine tails. It just tore his back open, just tore the skin off and brutalized him in a way. As a matter of fact, I have a picture of that, what he really looked like. It was done, uh, well, by a medical-type thing, going back, taking the history of everything. And uh, he was unrecognizable. It was unbelievable almost what he looked like. I never, it's like a piece of meat that you could hardly even, well, even says he's hardly recognizable, and he was. Wasn't at all. I mean, the way he was beaten, it was beyond understanding. And to be able to be awake and still be able to talk, most people have been in a coma. They'd have been unconscious. But he was awake, and he felt these things. He he saw these things. He experienced this thing. And he, he didn't die until he gave up the ghost, you see. So uh, Jesus experiences horror, this pain for us. Okay, the next thing is the uh, crown of thorns. Now, uh, Genesis 3.18, thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Okay, that was whenever Adam and Eve uh, sinned, and then he told him in in, uh, Genesis 3.19, he said, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shall thou return. Okay, what happened was they sinned against God, Adam and Eve. They were put out of the garden. He said, that's when he told him. he said, you're going to earn by the sweat of your bow. No more blessings from me, no more good things from me. What you get won't come from me. It'll come from you and the sweat out of your brow. Now, when Jesus suffered that, remember the thorns, the crowd of thorns that they put on his head, Remember how they pressed these thorns down, and they were so like thorns probably about three, four inches long, pointed, and they pushed it down, and you can imagine what that like on his head, how those thorns come down his forehead, the back of his head, his side of his head, everything. They just crammed them down, and the blood right there, you can imagine, just tore his head up. They pushed them down, and that was where he bought our prosperity, okay? Now, Second Corinthians uh, 8, 9 says, He became poor that we could become rich through his poverty. Now, you know what that means? A lot of people misinterpret that verse. They think that Jesus was poor. Jesus was not poor. He was not poor. He had a treasury. He had money. You want me to tell you what that actually means for the perspective there? You know, Jesus was in heaven, right? Now, heaven is beyond anything, am I right? Sure it is. It's beyond anything this earth has. Now, anybody that's in heaven, it comes down even to the greatest things on this earth, the greatest things that are on this earth, it is nothing but poverty compared to heaven. 
the earth is poverty. The whole earth is poverty compared to heaven, even though it, it's a replica, just a very little sample replica of heaven, but it's very, 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 very much lower. So therefore, he degraded himself per se far as poverty after he left the place. He left heaven come down this earth. And the earth is not to be compared. The grass is not to be compared. Anything in this earth is not to be compared to flowers to what's in heaven. You see, so that's where this verse really comes from. Now, he became poor. He gave up the riches of heaven for you, and he gave up the riches of heaven for me. He came down, and he took on a body like any man has, and he bore in that body, and he suffered in that body, and he did everything in the body. So every one of us could be saved healed, delivered, set free, prospered, and love him and be born again. Come to the Father so he could redeem us, you see, so he could bring us into his kingdom. That's his goal. That's his goal right now. That's that's what's going on. He wants to get as many people into the kingdom as he can. That's what it's all about. Now, he says, another verse, he says in Deuteronomy 8.18, he gave you and I power to get wealth to establish his covenant. He wants you and I to get wealth. He wants us wealthy and prosperous, you see, not to go out and buy Maseratis and live like uh, some movie star. It's not about that. It's not the me, some big, cool, rich guy type thing. No, 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 no. He wants to bless us so we can enjoy life have, having the things of life, but he wants to use that to establish his covenant. You look around you, how many churches, how many ministers, good men and women of God, missionaries, uh, people in need, people hungry. How many needs are out there? Beyond what I can even fathom imagine. I know I see a lot of them. I'm around a lot of people, see a lot of things, and it, it's overwhelming to me to begin with. But I'm going to tell you this as much more than anyone I'm seeing because we don't see the whole world. We just have our, our little area that we have, our little area that we are involved with. And uh, I tell you this, uh, it's overwhelming what is out there. You see the needs. So how could I live like king, some king master and everything and just keep it on myself? No, he wants to live us to live good. Don't misunderstand me. But in that, I would have to be helping people with my heart is that way. We are, you're really, if you want to know the truth, the purpose of your prosperity is not just to bless you, but to bless others. You bless others. My wife and I have things marked down when our ship comes in with God, which it is. God has told us and showed us. I know many more to have this. I know people that have the checks written out to the people that they're going to give to and whatever that God has laid on their heart. So we need to have that idea and attitude that you and I are a conduit. What comes to us, we give out, you see. We give freely. We give freely and we help, you see. Because we give, it gives back to us because we, we're perpetual givers. It comes to us, we give. It comes to us, we give. And it's a law of sowing and reaping, isn't it? And didn't the Lord tell us in his word that that would be as long as there's time here on this earth? And that's what it's about. If you have an attitude like the man that built the barns, forget it. It's not going to work. So what do you purpose in what you do? What's your motive behind these things? Is it a God motive or is it a fleshly, selfish motive, you see? If you have a selfish motive, uh, it might work for you. In fact, it won't work for you. You need to have the right attitude and motives for what you want from God, not to heap it on your own selfish lust, but for the purpose of God's work. Yes, for you to be blessed and enjoy life, but also for the work of God. Okay, let me tell you something else here about this prosperity. Uh, in Deuteronomy 28:11, he says, 
He wants to make us plenteous in goods. So you see, after we've been redeemed from the curse, from his crown of thorns and that blood shed for us, we no longer are making it on our own. We have God to direct us and to bless us and show us favor, which enables us. You see, he does miracles for us. Not that we don't work. Sure, if a person, well, actually, you know, in the Bible, in, the, in, uh, in Hebrew, there's no such word as retirement. There isn't such a thing as retirement in the word of God. Coincidence and retirement are not in the Hebrew. That's not known in the word of God. There isn't such a thing as retirement. So you say, I'm retiring. Well, I'm retired from secular work. Many people retire from secular work because I'm well above the age of 65. But I'm going to say this to you. I'm not retired from the work, the real work that I do, and that's God's work. That's my real work. Amen? All right. So recognize this, that you never retire. There's always something for you to do. In fact, your greatest job is what God has called you to do. You that are working yet, that aren't or aren't full-time, that aren't uh, off a job, but you're working on a job, punching a time clock, uh, your chief job is really uh, the job of serving the Lord to do what he's called you to do. And, of course, first of all is God, then your family, then your ministry. But yet, that is your chief thing. You're to be a soul winner. You're to do the mission that God called you to do. Not everybody's in the five-fold ministry and does uh, ministry and doesn't work a job. There's many people work jobs and they have ministry. But there's things that he has you to do because it's not just preachers that are called to do the work. It's everybody. So you have a part. Every person has a part, whether in the five-fold ministry or not. We're all laborers together, but we all have different callings and different things that we've called to do. So God has made that way for prosperity for us, okay? He's made that way where we don't have to earn it by the sweat of our brow, but he directs us. He gives us wisdom. He said he'll give us witty inventions. He gives us favor. He opens doors for us. He blesses us. Uh, so we see we have that working force now that through that curse that's broken, that curse of poverty, you see. So we do not have poverty if we simply believe that and we act upon that and break that thing off our lives in the name of Jesus. Poverty, you will not have me. Sickness, disease, you will not have me in Jesus' name. Okay. Now, set the thing is uh, generational curses. I'm not going to get into that tonight, but we take authority over that, too. If somebody's family went through it and there's a poor family all the way along or a family that was sick, in certain areas of life, or maybe alcoholic family, drug family, whatever. There's times that there's a curse upon you, a generational curse that you need to set free from, you see. But uh, these things have no place in you. You have to recognize that you are be a spot without wrinkle on fire for Jesus Christ, walking and living a holy life without spot or wrinkle. And that's what God has taken us to, this, this place that we're walking worthy of what we're called to do. Okay, the next thing, pierced hands, Genesis 39.3. And his master saw that Lord, that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Okay, his hands, of course, on the cross, you know, his hands were had uh, the rods in there. In other words, the nails, his hands were nailed to the cross. They were nailed. And that pierced hands, those hands that were pierced were this. In other words, everything 
that was shed, that blood that was shed out of those hands, everything he puts and we put our hands to, everything we're, we're bringing it to us now, how this benefits us, everything we, you and I put our hands to, uh, like a certain job, we put our hands to work a certain job, we, we put our hands in a ministry, or we lay hands in the sick for them to recover. The Bible says we'll lay our hands in the sick and they will recover. Everything that you and I put our hands to is blessed because of that blood. That blood that was shed in those hands by those nails, you know, in there, and that blood coming out, that blood that was shed, paid for you and I, that everything we put our hands to, everything we become a part of to do, will be blessed and prospered, you see, because of that blood. If it's something he has called you to do, you put your hands to it. If he called you to start a business, if he called you to start a church, if he called you to teach a Sunday school class, if he called you for whatever he called you for, it will be blessed if you just simply believe and act upon Jesus shed that blood that I can prosper what I put my hands to. It will prosper because Jesus' blood shed for me gives me that anointing and ability. But you have to believe that. Too many people don't know those things. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, it says in Hosea 4, 6. But if you know that shed blood, if his hands blessed you, that what you put your hands to is going to be blessed no matter what you do, if you simply believe it and then you're following the Lord. And I'm talking about being obedient to the Lord and listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about doing your thing and saying, well, hey, I'm gonna, my hands are going to be blessed and I'm going to live the way I want to. No, it don't work that way. It's truly dedicated to God, living for him. All these promises are supposed to be for men and women dedicated to him, not living the way you want to and then going to God like the great big Santa Claus saying, well, Lord, you said that your word says my hands are blessed what I put my hand to. Well, it doesn't work that way. It's a committed person, you see. It's about being committed. It's living a life. In fact, Christianity is not a belief system, belief system. It's a lifestyle. It's a belief system, but a belief system that we have in our lifestyle, it's for everything in our spirit, soul, and body. It's everything. Every decision we make, what we live and how we live, what we have and what we do, it's all in that, you see. It is the uh, uh, compass for everything we do. We go to it. We go to the Word of God for every answer to everything. We act according to the Word of God in all that we do. That's what Christianity is about, you see. It's for everything. It's not just Sunday or Wednesdays or when we teach or preach or whatever it might be. It's how we live our lives, you see. Okay? So we see the pierced hands, what we put our hands to, laying hands in the sick, which in ministry and everything, it tells us in, in Mark sixteen eighteen, And prosper in all you do with your hands, you see. We have dominion. You have dominion, you see. You have dominion. You don't hope to have dominion. I have dominion. Know that. Have that attitude. I have dominion. Not a cocky attitude, a attitude of uh, who do you think you are, but stating that because you're not bragging on you. You're bragging on what the Word of God says that Jesus told you that you have, and he wants to do through you as he directs your life. You're just talking about the great one inside of you. You're bragging on Jesus. You're not bragging on you. When I say, I know where I go, I'm going to be a blessing. I say that when I go to a church to preach or I do something, I know things will happen. I know when I get on the radio, I know when I get somewhere, 
God's going to use me. I know that. I don't hope or say, oh, God, I hope you do. No, I believe he will because I, I've been in this long enough, and I know this long enough, and I've seen it long enough, that I know God is going to do it, you see. I have confidence and faith in my God, you see. I have no confidence in me. I have no, nothing in me, but it's all in him, you see. That's why I can be so bold and I can speak these things because it has nothing to do with me or I would, I'd be running the other way, to tell you the truth. Everything is because of God. There's no good in me. It's all bad in me and all good in him, you see. Don't get mixed up when people make a confession like, who do they think they are? But they're just bragging on their God. They're bragging on Jesus and the greater one inside of them. Amen? All right. Okay. Next thing is the pierced feet, places to walk. Now, you know his feet were pierced also on the cross, the nails in there, and the blood that he shed. Now, let's look at Deuteronomy uh, eleven twenty four. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours, from the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. Promised land, promised land. In other words, remember the Israelites when they went out with Moses. Remember how they went with Moses, and uh, he told them. He said, "Hey, Moses." He said, where you put your feet, this is your land. You take that land, it's yours. In other words, where you put your feet. Now, Moses actually made a mistake. He missed it. Not just when he sinned against God there by smiting the rock instead of speaking to it. But, you know, he sent the the 12 spies out, Caleb and Joshua and, of course, the other 10. And you know the story about the the 10 that came back with the bad report and Joshua uh, and Caleb come back with the positive report. Well, why do you want to send somebody out? God said, that land is yours, you walk on it, and it's yours. Well, if God told me that I have ground to walk on, walk on it's yours, am I going to say, well, look, I better check this ground out first because, hey, there might be something on there that uh, I can't beat, and I better head and go there, I better better go to another area. No, he said, you walk on that ground, and it's yours. So he was trusting what he saw and what he thought instead of what God told him to do. If God says, you walk on that ground, that is all yours. I'm giving you that. Then you walk on that ground. You keep going and depend on God to give you everything you walk on. Because that was a promise he made to Moses, wasn't it? That was, that was a promise that was made. That was made to, to them in, in the, the land. Abraham, Moses, all of them, you know what I mean? It's it just, uh, uh, they were promised this ground. They were, they were promised ground. They were promised territory. Uh, where they went and they fought, uh, look back in the time of Abraham, the wars that they had, the things. I mean, they, they were giving things. They were promised things that they, they could overcome. They had God with them. But uh, when Moses did what he did there, you see, he that was a mistake on his part because we don't uh, try to figure, can this be done when God says we can do it? That's a big mistake that we, we make often. You know, God says that uh, we can do this or we can do that. And we say, well, wait a minute now, this didn't work for so-and-so, and this didn't work for me before, and oh, my, I don't have the ability to do that. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I don't have the faith for that. Well, that's true. You don't have the faith for it, and you can't do it. But God can do it through you. You're not believing your faith. You're, you're having faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith is in him and him accomplishing the goal through you, not in yourself or what you know or what you don't know. It's totally in Jesus Christ. His name and faith in his name gets the job done. It's a little bit like the uh, the blind man there, <clears throat> you know, at the gate, the lame man at the gate, I'm sorry. Remember, Paul Peter said it was faith in Jesus 
and in his name that made this man whole, because they wanted to try to give Peter and the other apostle credit. He said, no, it was Jesus and faith in his name that this man is made whole, you see. So that's how the job is done. It's your faith in Jesus and what he has the ability to do and what he will do through his name when you come to the Father in his name. He said, anything that you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, so where you walk, where you walk, where you're sent to go will be blessed, where he sends you. You see, he'll send you certain places, and that's walking, right? Okay, if he sends you certain places, and that's walking, that means that it's going to be successful, no matter what you're thinking or seeing or feeling, because he told you to go there. He's given you a mission. And when he gives you a mission, he sees success in that mission. He sees the provision for you. He sees a favor for you. He sees the people that you might need for help. He sees the whole ball of wax, and he just sees you at the starting gate, and he sees you at the end at the finish gate with victory, you see. And in between time, you follow him, and you're going to get to that place. But you have to see that, too. Without a vision, you'll perish. <coughs> you must accept the fact that it's going to be successful, you see. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. You must maintain that attitude. And if you maintain that attitude, what will happen? You will see that victory. But if you say, well, I can't do it or I'm fearful, you'll talk yourself out of it, you see. The devil tries to steal what we're called to do, tries to steal our blessings, to steal what we're called to do. But we can't allow him to do that. You must maintain strong faith in the Lord. Okay, the next thing is uh, the spear-pierced side. It pierced uh, his heart, and that won our joy back. And that's found in John 19:34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forth came out blood and water. And anyhow, he said, forgive them, for they know not what to do, the ultimate for brokenhearted. Leave God, heal your hurts, or they will turn into bitterness. That is for the brokenhearted. That's for the broken heart. He was broken hearted by what had happened, what had happened with the people, how he was denied, everything that happened there. And he recognized that in life today, how many people are broken hearted about things? How many have just been hurt so bad and they're just living in a world of hurt? Their, their joy is gone. They're, they're in depression. They're in, in, in uh, situations of the mind. They're just tormented. And after a while, it can turn into bitterness because resentment comes in there with what you suffer uh, many times your mind and situations then almost hate and resentment and attacking others and everything is there in retaliation so he had that his side pierced his side was pierced and right there because he wanted to give our joy back to us you see without our joy the joy of the lord's our strength we have no strength do we and joy is the key to everything because without the joy of the Lord, really, we can't receive of the Lord because we're not in the right attitude, frame, or faith, are we? But the joy of the Lord is our strength. So you see why and how Satan wants to rob us of our joy, turn us off and get us upset and, and just lose our joy and just uh, get us to a frame of mind that we're angry and, and just no happiness and just grumbling and growling and everything that not even be in the right frame. When he has you there, you're not really on the track. You're really off the track. If you want to get technical about it, you have to get back on the joy train, the joy of the Lord. And if you don't have that joy, and you know that as well as I do, if you don't have that joy in your heart, 
you don't really hear anything from God. You just feel all clogged up and everything. You're miserable. You can't think. You know things are horrible. And you, it's terrible. It's a terrible feeling. I don't even like to discuss it. It's a horrible feeling when you know you don't have that joy. You don't have any faith or confidence in God. And everything is just bad, you know. But uh, to steal that joy. So don't leave anybody rob you of your joy. Don't let the devil rob you of your joy, you see, because that shed blood right there is a seal and a sign that, hey, we don't have to lose our joy. We can maintain our joy and trust God, you see. And we can be delivered from those hurts that we had that people brought on to us. And many times it could be family members. It could be uh, men of God, pastors. I've heard all kinds of stories from everybody on those things. And, and the ones that you would think, well, my, my, they shouldn't do it. They're actually the ones that did it. So we need to go if we have hurts from the past, no matter what they were and who they were, and recognize that blood shed there with that spear, with that blood inside, the broken heartedness. We are free from this broken heartedness and, and things that just are, are just tearing us up inside because of what we've suffered. We have healing for that. He can heal that for you. He can heal that for me. He can restore us and bring us to a place that we will have joy again. We'll have peace again, and that will be gone from us because that's a bitter pill to take. And God wants to free you from that right now. He wants to free you from that. And just, just uh, if there's any forgiveness or anything, if somebody did something, you must forgive them first in the name of Jesus. And then just ask him to steal that joy, restore that joy to you back, what was stolen from you, that broken heartedness, and to get you back to that place of joy. You know, he says in, in Psalms 51:12, it says, Restore the joy of thy salvation. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, Psalms 51:12, And we need to ask him, restore the joy of my salvation. Restore to me that. You know, we're in an hour of restoration of health, finances, anointing, greater. This is the greatest time to be alive. The greater things that are ready to burst out now, it's going to shake this world. It's going to shake the heavens. It's going to be such a thing. We wouldn't believe it if we were told it, it says it in the... Uh, in the Word of God, Habakkuk 1.5. And all these things are happening and are in the process now. We're seeing great things happen, but it's barely begun. It's just beginning for what God wants to do. But restore that joy because your salvation is the most important thing. Have that joy come back in because then you're opening your, your phone, your receiver, to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you see. When you have that joy of the Lord in you, then you can hear the Holy Spirit. But you can't hear the Holy Spirit. You can't hear God. You can't or don't want to do anything when you don't have joy. So I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that your joy will be restored to you. In the name of Jesus, restoration. I know that that's needed because right now I just, uh, God has me right here with this right now. It's just because uh, it's a big thing with what people have suffered today. <clears throat> Excuse me, and are suffering today. So we need to. Make sure that joy is in our hearts, the joy of Jesus. Okay, the last thing, the seventh thing, are bruises. One, our deliverance from our inner hurts and iniquities. It says in Isaiah 53, 5, But he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That's the inside hurts, iniquities, and addictions. Uh, there's iniquities 
within us that can be jealousy, pride, hatred, addictions uh, to anything, pornography, drugs, you name it, it's there, whatever it might be. And with those things, those bruises that he received in his body delivered us from those things. Now, you know what a bruise is, first of all, to explain a bruise is bleeding from the inside to the outside. Like when Jesus bore the stripes, he bled from the outside. But whenever he was hit from the outside, he was bled from the inside there, you see. He didn't bleed from the outside. A bruise is bleeding from the inside. So therefore, it's inward, pointed to the inward things in life, where things that you can't see with your eyes, things that are sensitive inside, like the iniquities, maybe uh, being an adulterer, all these, all these things that uh, people do that are bad, that are wrong or evil, uh, any filthiness like that, addictions, inside hurts, retaliation, they are the inner things. And that's why it was a bruise, because that pertained to inner. It wasn't the outside things that was needed, it's the inner things that needed. You see, you don't see those things many times. You can see signs of it in the actions of people, but you don't know. A person could be smiling at you unless you know in the spirit they could hate you and they could be planning to do something nasty to you but smile on your face and have a knife in your back, you see. You don't know people with that way with their, their attitudes and things. So, you see, they need set free from the wrong attitude, you see, a wrong attitude of hatred, of uh, of evil forces that uh, come upon them and evil practices. And by those bruises right now, by the bruises that Jesus suffered, you can be set free from them because of his bruises or addictions, because of his bruises or iniquities, he said, or iniquities, inner sins and things are forgiven and we can have the victory. Of them, but we don't have, <coughs> excuse me, we don't have, have to, uh, <coughs> excuse me just a second, I hit something in my throat. We don't have to, uh, excuse me, we don't have to uh, be led around by our wrong uh, feelings inside and then just giving in to them and doing those things and being part of it. We can say no to it, be set free, and happen no more in our life. We can be set free from it, you see. Many people are carrying things around inwardly, and they, they feel that nobody sees or knows it, and they just kind of keep it under the cuff never deal with it but we have to be honest and deal with these things because now in this very hour god is moving on all of us to cleanse ourselves of the filthiness of flesh and the spirit like it says in second corinthians 7 1 cleanses yourself of the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit and you actually cleanse yourself by repenting of it and then leaving the holy spirit look at you and tell you if there's anything wrong repenting of it and asking him to to heal you of that but you must come to that place to do it. You must be willing to do it. And many people are good at looking at others, but they're not too good at looking at themselves. So we have to give an honest look at ourselves. Like Paul said, I have to judge myself and look at myself and examine myself daily. Otherwise, I'll become a castaway. So this is the hour of self-examination to make sure that we are right in our hearts. Are we rapture ready? Are we right in our hearts? Do we have secret hidden sins that nobody knows about? Are we leading a double life, or do we have things that we just haven't dealt with? The Bible says in Hebrews uh, 4.16, it says, or James uh, 4.17, it says, To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So if I have no sin within me, 
I'm doing it, and I don't do anything about it. And I know to do good, and I don't do it. It says I'm in sin, doesn't it? To him, I know it to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. If I procrastinate. So we need to learn, every one of us need to learn to respond and, and really repent. You know, that's what made David one of God's favorites, not the favorite of God. To tell you the truth, the city of David, you know, Jesus is going to rule from in the millennium reign. The city of David, named after David and all. Uh, you think about it, uh, David was quick to repent. That really impressed God, you see. And we need to be ready, willing, and able to repent and make our chart clean. In other words, make sure our robes that we're wearing are, are white clean. Clean. Everything right. Nothing wrong. Righteous. Robe of righteousness. Walking in that. And walking in power. Because holiness, righteousness, and a clean slate is the beginning, and then empowerment follows that. And then when we do that, we're going to show Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ's personality or characteristics were in the fruit of the Spirit, his abilities were in the gifts of the Spirit. And when we exemplify those two right there, we're actually displaying Jesus. We all said, none of, or less of Jesus, more of me. I say, none of me and all of Jesus is what we need to go for. And when we get to that place, we're never going to get to the perfect place, don't get me wrong. But we are to get better and better at it where they're seeing so much of Jesus, it's hard to see us at all, getting rid of ourselves, you see. And that's what these uh, seven times that Christ shed his blood that we need to hold on to. We need to hold on to this thing. I'm going I'm to read them one more time down here. I'm going to read them to you, the seven things that uh, Jesus did. And you can listen to this message again. You can study it, read over it, pray about it. And uh, recognize if we take advantage of the blood shed for each individual thing here and we go along with that, it's going to take us to the place of looking like Jesus. That's simple, really, because all these things are designed to get us to look like Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. He wants us to be little Jesuses, that Jesus said, the things I do, so shall you do. Or like the old saying, chips off the old block. That's kind of a crude way to put it, but it's the truth. I knew somebody uh, one time, and somebody told me, he said, you, you walk around looking like Jesus. You just want to look like Jesus. He said, that was a compliment to me. That's what I want to be. I want to look that way. Amen. I had somebody uh, years ago, about a thought back in my mind, we, we, about 20, I guess it was a little over 20 years ago, and there was another couple with my wife and I. We went to nursing homes, elderly people and everything. We held meetings in there, and a few of them didn't like us very well. Most of them did. We had a great time. The one woman said about me, she said, if he stays in here, he said, everybody's going to get healed. As if that was a bad thing. And I, I know if I have sick and one something, I'd sure want to get healed. But I, I, I really almost cracked up when they said that because who in the world doesn't want to get healed? The thought was that was a bad remark with me because of the way I stood and the way I believe, I guess. you know. But I thought, wow, what a crazy thing to say. It was an older lady that just didn't like us very well. She said, she'd be in there very long and said, everybody's going to get healed. Well, that was the goal. That was the goal. But there's some silly things that people will say sometimes about the good things that we're supposed to stand for, be, and do. But uh, getting back now to the seven times that Jesus shed his blood, Gethsemane was the first time, you know, the, the drops of blood in his forehead for our, our uh, control over our wills. Then the stripes on his back that gave us physical health from sickness and diseases, you know. He says in the 103rd Psalm, he heals us of all our diseases, not just a few, but all our diseases. 
it's an all thing, not a partial thing or sometime or maybe, but all are diseases. That means 100%, okay? Crown of thorns, prosperity. You know, the crown was on his head, the bloody shed. Prosperity, that he blesses us financially. He directs us. He gives us uh, wisdom. He gives us understanding. He gives us favor. That we aren't, everything we do isn't by the sweat of our brow and our own strength, because that's really what it was. He was telling Adam and Eve, by your own strength, you're going to get these things. Well, my life and your life, by the word of God, if we believe the word of God, it's not our strength, it's our obedience, but it's it's God's provision that's going to pull you through and me through. Okay? <clears throat> the next thing is the crown of, uh, no, I've got that, pierced hands, things that we touch, what we put our hand to because of the bloody shed on the cross in his hand, everything that you and I put our hands to is going to be blessed. Everything we do, if we're to go forth in the business or something, hey, we put our hands to that, we put our hands to a certain work, it'll be blessed. Feet, anywhere he sends you, what the blood he shed on the cross with his feet, that blood, anywhere he sends us, if he sends you to Africa, if he sends you to another state, he sends you to another church, or he sends you to another business, whatever it might be, it's going to be blessed because he's blessing your feet. Your feet got you to that place, therefore I'm here, I was sent here, I'm going to be a blessing, I'm going to be blessed. Have that attitude, have that attitude, because that's a promise right there. You were sent. When you're sent, it, it's automatic blessing. It's automatic blessing. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless whatever he wants you to do there. Okay, the next thing about the spear side, the hurt, the pain that you have had, uh, the things that uh, broke your heart, the hard things that are hard to bear. It could be terrible family situations, whatever. <clears throat> God wants to heal that broken heart and give you joy back in your heart. Joy for brokenheartedness. He wants to bring the joy back. In fact, you can claim that scripture, Psalms 51, 12. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Restore to me what I lost. Restore it back to me, Lord, that I have that joy back. The next thing, and last, <clears throat> bruises. And as I said earlier, a bruise is an act, uh, in a wound. It's a bleeding wound from the inside. So therefore, the things that are in the inside, the iniquities, of the inside, the inner hurts, the things that are evil inside, we need set free from. And those bruises, that bleeding from the inside, that shed blood from the inside, called bruises, freed us from that. Freed us from that. So you see, for our spirit, for our soul, and for our body, God paid for every one of them. Every one of them. Now, I gave you, <clears throat> excuse me, seven things that happened there seven times that Jesus shed his blood and that was specifically what it was and you know, generally we'll say at the cross he went to the cross and his blood and it's true in generalization it was the blood that he shed but this was an individual uh, piece or, or teaching of what each one represents that way you'll know what it is like when it comes especially to your will you know Gethsemane not my will but your will be done Lord that's, that's really a good one because it all begins with our wills that's why I believe it was the first thing that happened, Gethsemane, because if we don't have our wills in order, nothing else is going to work out because we need to have uh, control, self-control, you see, temperance, self-control, which is, like I said, the fruit of the Spirit, which enables you and I to do what God tells us to do. And when we do what God tells us to do, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to get somewhere, right? Okay. All right. Well, that's everything that I have for the night, but I'm going to pray. 
And I would ask you all, as you listen to this message, to share it with others and uh, listen to it again and everything and uh, what you need to do. Ask God, how can I apply this? What am I lacking here? What do I need? Because if there's ever a time to get ourselves straight, it's now. He said in Second Corinthians 7, 1, having these precious promises, he said, let's cleanse itself from the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. That means the, the outward man that does things that you can see or the inward man that you can't see and the wrongness inside. And you cleanse yourself. You see, it's the cleansing power of God, but you cleanse yourself by seeing what it is and repenting of it and ask God to, to cleanse you. But everything that we ask God to do, and we mean business with he does, but it always begins with us. Like I said at the beginning of the program, you do this. You let the, the joy of the Lord in your heart. You do that. Uh, it doesn't just pop upon you, you say. It's something a lot of times that we have to do a certain act. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. James 4, 7, 8. Uh, let me quote that. Submit yourself to God. You have to do that, right? Resist the devil. You do that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. You have to do that. And he will draw near to you, right? But if you notice everything when it comes to submit and resist, then the devil flees. Then draw near to me, then God draws near to you, you see. So everything begins with you and I. We make the first move. Amen? Don't we make the first move when we get saved? The Holy Spirit convicts us, and we know in our hearts we need to be saved. He's ministering to us. But before it manifests, we have to repent. Because we speak, we uh, we believe in the heart and confession, believe in the heart on the righteousness, and confession is made on the salvation, isn't it? Believe under our hearts and righteousness, and we confess out of our mouth. We confess it, we declare it, we claim it, you see. And when you claim it, that's when God comes on the scene. When you give your will to God, you give your, your everything to God, you say, God, I'm giving my all to you. And I need your power. I need you. When you mean business like that, and you're, you're not holding back a thing, but you're you're putting it all on the line. Every time it works. I've experienced this over 51 years, and I've seen it work. I was at my lowest ebb uh, back way back in 1971. I was a Christian uh, in August. Well, we got saved my wife in August the 3rd of 70. And I was at... Uh, Lowest ebb in my life. I was going up and down like a, a seesaw, and I just couldn't seem to get the victory. And I just was really tired of it. And I came to the place that uh, I, I said, God, <clears throat> I, I I can't make it. In other words, I was supposed to be baptized that day, and the pastor said he wouldn't baptize me uh, if I smoked, you know. And I, I smoked in front of him. I never tried to hide anything. And the other guys are going to be baptized as smokers too, but they hid it from him. Well, my wife was talking to the pastor, and she told me this. So I went to the pastor, and he said he would baptize me that Sunday. It was a Sunday morning. He said, in the afternoon, I'll baptize you if you agree to quit smoking. So I agreed. So that particular day, my wife and I and the kids uh, went out to eat, and I told my wife, I said, you know, I said, I I hadn't been able to have the victory. I just up and down. I just failed, and it seems like everything. And now I said, I'm going to quit smoking, and I love to smoke. And I said, I don't know how in the world this is going to happen. I, you know, I, I was, I thought, man, that was it. And I just came to the place. I said, God, I said, I give my all to you. I just give everything I am to you. And I need the power to live for you. And I knew nothing about Pentecost, baptism, the Holy Ghost. I knew nothing about nothing much. 
But all I can tell you, that night when I went into, instead of going into uh, watch television, I told my wife I, I loved a program called Bonanza. still on, you know, and different uh, old-time channels. But uh, uh, that particular night, I guess it was on, it was on a Sunday night, and it came on about 9. I went in the uh, bedroom there. It was a very hot June night, June of 71. Uh, no wind was blowing. Everything was stationary. And uh, when I went in there, my wife nearly collapsed because I never did that before, especially with Bonanza coming on my favorite program. So I went in there, and, and all of a sudden I seen a curtain, the wind just blow, lights flashed in my, over my head, kind of chemical ice, and I was, you know, I just, woo. I mean, it, it makes goosebumps pop up on me right now. And I didn't know what in the world happened. And I didn't know... Uh, and then when I walked out of the room, my wife said, I, I, I glowed. I must have looked like Moses. I'm not exaggerating. And my life changed so much. Everything. I had wisdom, understanding. My eyes opened. I, I, I spent 12 hours, 10 hours a day in the Bible. I I just completely, it was a greater experience in my own salvation. You know, coming to Jesus, you got saved. And don't misunderstand this. This is the thing that set me on fire, and that fire has not changed in 50 years. That fire has not changed. That's what really got me started, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. And I didn't know until a year later what I had, and then I knew it, and then I started. But my, my life had changed, my attitude, my desire, my faith, what I believed, what I saw, what I understood, my hunger for God. So, folks, I'll tell you, there isn't such a thing as being a place that you're not going to make it. Because when you come to the place that you say, that's as far as I can go, well, then, that's what happens. You know, the devil doesn't like me talking like this tonight because my throat has never acted like this before. I'm kind of having burning funnies in my throat. In the name of Jesus, I just command that thing out. <clears throat> but I'll say this to you. You come to that place, and he'll meet you where you're at. He said in Psalms 46.1, he said, He's a very present help need in time of trouble. I'm a very present need, he said. And you meet him where you are at, no matter if you're a beginning Christian or if you're a veteran Christian. You meet him where you're at, and you be honest and open with him, and he will meet you where you're at, and you will know God is for real. You don't have to be a super spiritual person, been in the Lord for years, or be a Bible scholar. You just have to be honest in your heart, and like a child coming to him. And he'll be as real to you as God can be to anybody. Just meet him where you're at. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, ask him to forgive you your sins, come into your heart, and save you. Just take over your life and ask him to forgive you for what you've done. That's all you have to do. If you're sick in your body, by Jesus' stripes you are healed. You just ask for them to receive that healing. Just say, Lord, I receive my healing now. I receive my healing now in the name of Jesus. If you need uh, be filled with the Spirit of God. Just ask Him to fill you, to baptize you in the Spirit. Just praise Him and thank Him. Just to fill you with His Spirit. Just to take over your life. And you mean that, I promise you, it'll work. Because when you mean business with God, that's when He releases the anointing. Because the anointing follows your will in the realm of according to the Word of God. When you give your all to Him, that's where He meets you. Draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And that's what this is about tonight. And we're drawing 
near to God by his blood, by what he said for us. And everything, your every area, you draw near to good, near to God, and he will do it for you. Okay, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this meeting tonight. I thank you for this word, Lord. It isn't what I thought at all <clears throat> what has happened here. But, Father, I believe that you did a work and you are doing a work here now in the hearts of the people. And, Father, I thank you for that, and I pray that you'll meet everyone where they are at right now, that they'll know that, hey, I had a visitation from God. I know my God's real. I know my God's real. Let that reality of you be in this people tonight all around the world and every state that hears this message, Father. Let them know that you're real, Father, because we're not interested in ourselves or a program or anything. We're interested in people really coming to you and having a relationship with you where you can use them and they can be part of the kingdom and be out there doing the work of the kingdom. And he's done that many can come to Christ. So, Father, I just thank you now. And, Lord, I just be with your people now and bless them in a special way. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we thank you, Lord. And they all said amen, amen, and amen. Okay, people, we're going to wrap it up for the night. I love you all, and I'll see you then in a couple weeks. You all have a blessed night now, and I just thank you all for listening and encourage others to listen to it, and above all, just encourage others to follow Jesus Christ. We'll see you soon now. Bye-bye.